You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Next question from at Adam95H. Adam asks, will the Bucks winning a championship mean as much to the state of Wisconsin as the Packers Super Bowl or a potential Brewers World Series? No. I don't think, I don't think it will. Uh, I think both of those teams have managed to capture the state in a way that the Bucks have, have yet to truly do. I think last year... Uh, the city of Milwaukee was really behind them, and I think you could. Uh, that was the the most support I had seen from from Bucks fans. Probably, I mean, at least from what I can remember. Like, I, I don't remember two thousand one all that well, so maybe it was just as much or more then. Um, but you know, like I, I was at playoff games through. Uh, yeah, I think two thousand eight. I was there. Like I. I was at those playoff games and it just wasn't the same. Like the last year was, was the most it's ever been. And I just feel like if that's the most it's ever been, I think it's hard to compare to, to those other two teams that because, you know, I think with a Brewers game, you always know there's going to be a game and you can have all this space to tailgate. People will make trips to do so. Um, while with the NBA, it's difficult because, well, all right, here's a Tuesday night in January. Uh, you want to spend the night and make the trip over from Wausau? Like, probably not. Like, that's probably not going to work out. Um, so I think for the Brewers, it makes it easier. And obviously a 16-game schedule for the Packers, only eight home games. Uh, you can make a day out of it. You can make a weekend out of it. And you can go to a Packers game. And I, I think that helps both of those connect. And uh, they've just, I think, connected with, with people better. Uh, throughout the entire state. Uh, I think there's probably some racial aspects that go into it as well, uh, where, you know, I think football and baseball have more uh, white supporters than than the NBA does. And obviously the NBA is a predominantly black league. uh, And that's not necessarily true of the other two uh, leagues. So I think all of that plays into it. And I I don't think a Bucks championship would mean as much to the state as, as a Packers Super Bowl or Brewers World Series. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, my gut reaction has always been kind of the same that the Bucks um, would be third uh, behind those two teams. But you know, that's also informed by just most of my life when I felt that way. The Bucks, you know, were not close to any anything like they are now. They didn't have, you know, an MVP caliber player, um, and they didn't have real real championship, legitimate championship, uh, you know, aspirations, you know, except for maybe that blip uh, in the early 2000s. So, um, I mean, I think greatness has an impact um, that obviously changes everything. I think the interest, it's interesting for me to 
compare the Bucks and the Brewers because the Packers are obviously just sort of different because, I mean, the NFL is by far the, you know, it's the, the most popular sport in the country. Um, I'm, I don't have numbers in front of me. I'm sure it's the most popular sport in the state of Wisconsin because there is enough. I mean, I think of a, you know, kind of, it's popular everywhere. And then especially, you know, I think in, in rural areas, as you were kind of alluding to, you know, NFL is going to be more popular than, than basketball by, by larger margins. Um, and was in the Packers being like kind of a more of a, 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 you know, state team, you know, being from green Bay, I think that obviously also kind of has an impact, but um, I think it's interesting to compare the, the Brewers and the Bucks. Both teams got to basically the exact same spot last year. And there was obviously great interest, great support from fans for both. Um, it is very interesting, though, to kind of compare because I mean we're we're at probably at a, it's a much easier thing for us to compare those two teams. You know, the Packers have won championships. The Packers have won you know two titles in the last uh, you know twenty two years or whatever it is. Um, so it's less of a novelty with the Packers, and obviously just as a franchise, they have a longer history of of success than uh, than the Bucks and certainly the Brewers. So on the one hand, it's almost like well. Titles maybe don't mean as much to, to the Packers because, like, we we've seen them in recent. Like everybody who's you know a fan of the Packers has probably seen at least one championship, and many of us have seen two. Um, whereas the Bucks, I mean, for the Bucks or Brewers to win a championship, I mean, that would be insane. Like you know, like it's never even really been something that we've even like entertained. Whereas the Packers have you know really been disappointing that they've only won two, right, with Favre and Rogers for. You know, basically for the last 25, 20, 27 years or whatever, they've had, you know, arguably two of the you know greatest quarterbacks of all time. So, um, so I think in that way, almost the Packers' success sort of waters down a little bit, like the enjoyment factor of them winning. Um, and I think the Brewers and Bucks are maybe a more interesting comparison because they've had far less success. I mean, you know, most most Bucks fans had never seen them win a championship. Obviously, no Brewer fan has ever seen them win a championship. Um, and I think the interesting for the Bucks, I think if you're going to make a case for the Bucks, it would be something like this. It would be that, you know, basketball is, it's a, it's first, first off, it's a much more relevant sport globally, which maybe doesn't impact this, how the state of Wisconsin feels about the sport, but from a, like, what does this mean perspective? You know, if the Bucks win a championship, Milwaukee is a hundred percent on the map. If the Bucks are, I know a great team for the next five years, it means much more in the terms of the way Wisconsin and, and the city is viewed globally than if the Brewers are, are that good. And also, <clears throat> I mean, Christian Yelich is amazing. Hopefully, Keston Hira is, is as well. Uh, maybe Trent Grisham is going to be as well, too. But um, individual players in basketball kind of transcend the sport in ways that, that individual baseball players don't. Um, and Giannis has the ability to be you know a true global global sports icon in a way that I would argue no baseball player can be like, I mean, Mike Trout uh, is never going to have a problem walking down the street in London or Berlin or whatever, right. Or, or Shanghai, like the, the baseball just doesn't matter um, in the same way. So I think in terms of like, you know, the Bucks winning a championship and how hard it is, you know, in baseball, random teams can still kind of win championships. You know, you can kind of put together teams that that maybe don't seem like, well, they don't have a $2 million payroll, they don't have superstars. You can still, you know, you can still have teams like that, you know, compete at the highest level versus in basketball, you really can't. So I think, you know, given the, how hard it is to win in the NBA, I think a, a NBA championship, I, I, and again, I'm biased, but 
I believe that it would be actually more impressive, more meaningful in terms of like what you would have to overcome to win an NBA championship. And so and more impressive in that regard. Um, and I think it could also, um, I think the Bucks have a chance with Giannis to be um, better more consistently than the Brewers maybe do with kind of who they have and maybe with some of the financial limitations that they put on themselves. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I still think of the Brewers as sort of like, even with some of the talent they have, they're still more of going to be that kind of plucky underdog um, unless kind of things change. Whereas the Bucks can be favorites uh, for, for some time. So, so that would be my argument, argument sort of or what I think maybe some of the nuances around it. And um, you know, again, hopefully we will see all these teams win a championship in the next few years and we'll be able to compare how, uh, how people reacted to, to each of them happening. But um, I think certainly it's, it's pretty cool that, that, you know, the, the, the teams that have typically been in the Packers shadow have obviously now been on the rise and, and maybe the Brewers have been obviously disappointing or a little bit under where we'd like to see them this year, but um, we'll certainly see, obviously expectations are, have risen again in Green Bay after a disappointing, uh, well, it's been a little bit of a disappointing stretch here for a while. At Venison Ma asks, if the NBA were to replace all players with flavors of frozen custard, which flavors would be drafted one through 10 and why? I will refuse to go one through 10, but I will do a first pick. And I think... Caramel cashew is undefeated in all forms, whether that is a dish, a sundae, uh, a cone, whatever it is, caramel cashew frozen custard is undefeated. It has never not tasted great. And I, I don't like It's just classic. It's perfect. And uh, it is a go-to. Frank, pick one. I don't know if I've ever actually had custard, to be honest. Um I don't. What I, I get, you go to cops all the time? Yeah, but I always get milkshakes when I go there. My my uh, my thing when okay. I go to uh, cops, which is again like a a rite of passage for me whenever I come back home, is I get uh, a hamburger. Uh, usually, I'll get some fries and I'll get a uh, strawberry milkshake. That's my that's my jam. Ooh, strawberry milkshakes. Yeah. that's that's the way to go on a milkshake yeah. if you're gonna go yeah. with a milkshake. So that's, that's well it, I, I mean, I feel like kind of a fraud saying saying this, but I. I honestly don't know if I've... You could do your fl- favorite flavor of ice cream. I'm sure you've had ice cream. I, I have had ice cream. Uh, I enjoy s- strawberry. Um, I'm also a, a mint chocolate chip uh, fan. There is a... I'm on the cops website, people, so I am doing my due diligence here. Uh, there is a almond chip flavor. Uh, it will be on uh, Thursday, August 15th. Uh, so on Thursday here, so you've got a day to prepare after this. Oh no, that's today technically when this podcast goes up. Um, so you, you can go to Cops and get uh, uh, a mint chocolate chip. So I, I enjoy mint chocolate chip. I enjoy cookie dough. Um, I certainly enjoy strawberry. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other flavors I, I really like. But um, how do you feel about raw cookie dough, Frank? Just as like a thing. Um. Raw cookie, like I'm so far out on it. Just like if you're just gonna have like cookie dough, like oh. you're just gonna grab some cookie dough and eat some. Cookie yeah, dough. I don't. That feels like a little bit much. I enjoy it in ice cream, but um, I mean, like I enjoy, like I can remember back in the day when my if my mom or sister made like a a cake or something like that, um, or cookies, I guess. Uh, you know, like and you use the the uh, what are the things called? What is the thing called? The mixer, you know, and you lick lick the yeah. the um, you know, lick the mixer blades or whatever when you're done yeah 
Um, hey, I enjoyed that, but I don't know if I ever ate like just cookie dough per se. Some people yeah. do, and I'm not a. Seems fan. like a potential a health fan. issue uh, as well. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. But, uh, but yeah, cookie dough uh, in ice cream, I, I'm down with that. We got another weird one to break it up here a little bit. Justin underscore time nine nine nine. Justin Sayen, I believe it is. Including all Bucks players within this century, who would be best suited to win American Ninja Warrior? My vote is TJ Ford. I think that's a good question. I think you're on a pretty reasonable track there. TJ Ford had pretty long arms for uh, being as short as he was. Pretty uh, quick twitch athlete. Wait, are, are um, long arms helpful think, in think, Ninja Warrior if you're trying to like climb stuff? Do you want like long arms? I don't. I don't know. Honest question. I feel isn't there always like a, like a like a monkey bar type of like? Aren't you going to have to do some swinging at some point? I feel like those are helpful mm. in that. It could be. Could be. Um, I was going to go Desmond Mason. I feel like before he got chunky. I, well, uh, I was going to say, didn't he get like too jacked at one point though? Too like where he's like yeah. Shot I was going to say like. Like first year Desmond okay. Mason before he got like he got real jacked and real big like that he he got too big and then he lost his fun athleticism um, so first year Desmond Mason I, I that's that's who I'd put up there um, yeah I mean we've kind of talked I think we had a question a year ago last year where someone was asking us about like you know people playing other sports and you know we went into our handball our like you know semi annual kind of discussion about handball and how nba players should be awesome handball players um yes i mean if i, I like i think even with starting with the current team and, and i'll start off this way i think the transferability of athleticism of nba players i would say um is higher with with smaller players and again like you know Giannis maybe maybe has the best you know body to play basketball of any person in the history of the sport. <laughs> like, you know, when, yeah. you, when you think about just like physical tools, Giannis is one of the most gifted human beings ever to set foot on earth. Probably um, whether that translates into other sports slash like a, you know, kind of fitness challenge thing like American Ninja warrior. I'm far less uh, convinced on that. And, you know, I think generally being smaller probably helps. Um, so, I mean, two guys on the current team that I would look at first, I think the I'm I'm I don't recall if there have been any other Bucks that were drafted in another sport, but Pat Connaughton um, is a known kind of workout warrior. And uh, I was just gonna say he's always shown off that um, that I don't know if that contraption that Sugi Hobson has in the Bucks training center where it's like yeah, you like gotta a do monkey like, bar with the weird angles and, and it's like angles and stuff. I feel like that's legitimately like an exercise or one of like the the things that you have to do in American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. So I feel like he's, he's, he's already well-practiced in, you know, at least like one event. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's six, four, so he's not like freakishly tall or lanky. Throw 44 inch vert in there. Yeah. He's really explosive. He's a great leaper. Um, he just seems like a guy who, uh, who, and, and we know his like weightlift weightlifting stuff with Giannis. He's like a major weightlifter as well. So I think Connison's probably the, the first guy that comes to mind just as like, a crazy, just kind of natural athlete. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, another guy who is a great athlete uh, on the smaller side, I mean, Bledsoe has maybe the, I mean, biceps don't uh, an, an American Ninja Warrior uh, make, but, um, but you know, Bledsoe is obviously, has always been a, a terrific, just 
pure athlete. Uh, you know, at six one, he's obviously kind of a more normal sized human being as well. Um, I, I have to think he would uh, excel at anything that involves running and jumping, and obviously there's a lot of that in kind of American Ninja Warrior type stuff. So, um, so Bledsoe might be kind of the other guy that uh, that I, I'd pick out. Um, I mean, also, you know, if Dante DiVincenzo is uh, actually able to walk slash run, um, he's also another guy. I mean, he he obviously tested really well athletically at the combine as well. He's not overly huge or anything like that. He could also be potentially a, a kind of good good candidate for for that kind of thing as well. So, um, so yeah, and probably uh, you know, I don't I don't think necessarily we'll be seeing anybody competing on TV uh, among the Bucks, but. Uh, it, this would actually be an interesting question. Um, maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet at Suki Hobson right now and ask this very question <laughs> and see if she's willing to give us an answer. Um, uh, I know, like it. As far as who is um, who is her her guess for the most qualified for an American Ninja Warrior type type event, whether it's well, I'll just ask her who who she'd pick among the current bucks. We'll see if she gives us an answer. Um, all right, moving on. A A Ron Wolf asked the question. Which players are most likely to get moved by the trade deadline, and which players are most likely to be on the roster at the start of the 21-22 season? Um, I'll start with the second one. Which players are most likely to be on the roster at the start of the 21-22 season? Um, Bucks have how many people on contract at that point? Chris Middleton? Is he the only one that has a contract that runs into the 21-22 season at this moment, Frank? Oh, you're going to make me bring up my damn spreadsheet. I, th- I mean, that sounds right. Um... So him. Yeah. The, uh, well, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, you're talking about the 21-22 season. Start of the 21-22 season. Okay, you've got Bledsoe, Middleton, Brook Lopez, the last year of Dante Givincenzo's uh, rookie contract, and you've got George Hill's non-guaranteed final year in the 21-22 season. So I'll take off George Hill. I don't think he's likely cool. to be on the roster at the start of the 21-22 season. Um, Divincenzo seems incredibly likely to be there. Um, whether that means he's just secret daunting all over the place or he's actually contributing. Um, Chris Middleton, I think, is – I mean, I think if all goes to plan, he would still be one of your main contributors, and Giannis is happy in here. Uh, same thing with Bledsoe. Lopez was the other one you mm-hmm. said. Like, I mean, I think if everything goes to plan, I, I don't – all three are equally likely – because if all goes to plan and Giannis stays, then okay, they'll be here. And if all doesn't go to plan and Giannis leaves, I think they all have an equally uh, – I mean, I think there's an equal chance that all of them get traded. So that would be how I answer that question. Do you have any qualms with that? Yeah, it's interesting because you look at – I mean, Bledsoe would be more or less an expiring contract going into 21-22. Um, so he'll be north of 30 at that point. Um, and again, he might be a candidate you'd look at and have some concerns. Like, does he kind of go off, uh, you know, does he kind of take a a clear kind of downward trajectory in his performance at that point? Um, so again, he is, makes about half as much as Middleton at that point, but will probably be worse, but will be an expiring. So they're, they're in really kind of different spots. Whereas, you know, Middleton will essentially have, including his player option, He'll still be owed $114 million over the last three years of his contract. So, um, you know, he's just going to be in a very different spot of his, his career. And, uh, and Brooke will have two years, $27 million left on his deal. So um, <clears throat> I think you can make arguments for why each of them may be more likely to be moved or not. Um, but it would be for probably different reasons. Like Bledsoe 
you probably move because you know he's movable and um, you're trying to find a different different solution at point guard. Um, Brooke, who knows, right? I mean, he'll be um, a couple years older at that point. He'll be probably like what I think 33, something like that. Um, so again, like, is he taking a clear step back? Is he no longer a guy you? Maybe he doesn't even. Maybe you don't even think you want to start him anymore at that point. Who knows, right? Um, right now, it seems like a no brainer, but uh, a couple years down the road. Lots of things can change. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a strong opinion necessarily, but um, I think, as always, you know, it's it's always important to just acknowledge how quickly things change from year to year. Uh, you only need to look at the rosters of, of you know, the Bucks or any other team, uh, guys that you think, oh, yeah, that guy will be around a while, you know, just things happen. And then flip side, you know, John Henson sticks around for seven years or whatever, <laughs> whatever John had, however, John had long Jen, John Henson was here. So, um, it's, it's definitely hard to predict. And, and obviously going into 21, 22, you hope that's the year that Giannis is signing that super max. Um, in a lot of ways that is sort of like the, uh, you know, the, the, the second iteration of kind of superstar Giannis in terms of, you know, you, you kind of have to start thinking a little differently about, um, how are you transitioning the roster at that point? to go from, you know, the version of the team right now that you're contending with to whatever that next version looks like, right? Because in the 23, 2023 season, like, you know, Eric Bledsoe is not going to be your starting point guard. Hopefully Chris Middleton is still good. Brooke Lopez is probably long gone at that season. But, you know, but like if we start looking like five years down the road, like the, the team's going to be very different. And obviously you have to start thinking, um, oh, maybe not now, but you're going to have to start thinking about what the pipeline looks like for replacing those guys at some point. All right. Uh, Chubby742 on Twitter asked, how much do you, Eric Name, interact with the assistants, and do you have any observations that are worth sharing or funny stories? Um, I mean, you interact with assistants probably every day. Um, or, I mean, at least every day you're at a facility or uh, – in arena, but I mean, it, there's a, there's a whole lot of small talk. Uh, there's a whole lot of, Oh, look, that ball's coming this way. Can you help us out? Um, there, there's a whole lot of just, um, I I don't want to say like useless interactions, but like for the most part, you're going to have some of that. Uh, they're, they're all generally talkative. Um, if you if you want to chat with an assistant coach, uh, it's it's not a problem. Uh, them on the record is a little bit different. Bud likes to uh, to have them be a little bit more quiet, uh, but it's not Jason Kidd levels where uh, you couldn't like even approach an assistant coach. Like that just wasn't that wasn't something that uh, Jason really ever allowed. Uh, so that has been a, a very different thing with Bud is that, you know, uh, obviously he's cool with us chatting with them. Obviously during the playoffs, I wrote a story about Taylor Jenkins being the hold him back guy. Um, and now he's a, he's a head coach in Memphis. Um, so, I mean, are there any observations that are worth sharing? I mean, I think not really particularly. I, I think all those guys, uh, whether it's Taylor Jenkins, whether it's Darvin Ham, whether it's, uh, Charles Lee, like I think Patrick St. Andrews, uh, Josh Longstaff, like all those guys like are generally going to be around players, generally going to be uh, helping them go through workouts, doing some of those different things. Uh, so you're going to see them around all the time. Um, and I mean, funny stories, 
I don't know that I really have any. Um, I mean, other than you, you just kind of see all of them giving different players shit, right? Like these guys spend time around each other all the time. So uh, there has to be some give and take. There has to be uh, some ability to, to make fun of guys and to get it right back as an assistant coach. So uh, that would kind of be what I would what I would say, and I guess I would be comfortable sharing. Um, like, obviously, there's other times where you talk to guys even more than that, but um, that would that would kind of sum up most of the interactions you have with assistant coaches. So yeah, and I have nothing. I have nothing to add since I don't interact with assistant coaches other than what I would hear them say coming out of halftime of FS Wisconsin. Bryant, so there you go. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go with Tim Branta uh, at Gameltoe sixteen again. Gameltoe. That's a that's a, that's a Milwaukee that's, Brewers. Yeah, just wanna, I just want to make sure that's that's very clear with what I said. Um, what types of rotation do you see Bud using? Who do you think will be the starters in second and third string? I'm interested on your take of who will be on the floor at the same time during certain points in the game i'm not going to tell you what the second third stringer i have no idea uh the starters will be bledsoe matthews middleton adetokumbo lopez and then after that um you know i i think some of the pairings you have to think about is uh with brogdon gone i think you always have to try to find enough creation on the floor um which is kind of why I thought uh, it's ironic that we talked about Dante earlier. Um, you know, I think Dante makes a lot of sense with the, the, with a guy like George Hill where, okay, George Hill is going to be your knockdown shooter. And, and maybe Dante is going to be a better shooter in his second year. We don't know. Um, but Dante would be more of the, the creation guy, more of the off the dribble guy doing a little bit more of that than George Hill. Who's going to be all right. Like, and George Hill will shoot off screen sometimes, but most of the time it's going to be for like a pull-up three um, or for like a mid-range jumper. It's not going to be all the way to the rack. And I just feel like Dante would give a little creativity to that. And, you know, those two can come in together. Uh, you can play some of them. And then even if you bring in a guy like Wesley Matthews, maybe Dante stays in there. You still have a shooter. And then you have DiVincenzo that can play a little bit of point, especially against second units. Like I think those things make sense to me. And then I think the other thing is just how you try to, to work Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton this year and how you try to stagger those end of the first quarter and third quarter minutes, because last year, Bud regularly, I, I think to the, to the dismay of most Bucks fans would go Brogdon and bench unit. Like, all right, here's Malcolm Brown with four bench guys, and let's see what happens. And he's not going to have that ability this year. He's going to have to figure out different ways to try to have enough creation on the floor when Giannis is not out there. And, you know, I think that maybe leads to a little bit more staggering with Giannis and Middleton. I think that leads to more, um, you know, I think maybe more times where Bledsoe is that guy out there on the floor. And we didn't really see that a ton last year um, where it was both Middleton and Giannis off the floor and just Bledsoe out there uh, with some of the 
bench guys or even with another starter. So I think that's the stuff that's kind of interesting to me. And, and that was me not giving any predictions, but also I don't have any idea. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to know. One thing that, that I think is interesting. I mean, a year ago, there wasn't necessarily a clear way to get George Hill on the floor to end games uh, because obviously Bledsoe and, and Brogdon, you know, I think had proven enough of themselves and what they could do on, uh, you know, as starters uh whereas this year i mean i don't i mean again if if last year is any indication i think george hill is going to be a clearly better player especially in crunch time um than uh than a a west matthews type and again for the reason you mentioned around kind of creative you know off the dribble creation obviously george hill is vastly superior there um and then defensively i think just george hill and his ability to to guard you know potentially both backcourt positions i think um just differentiates him certainly from from west matthews and again west <coughs> spot up shooting i think obviously that's a a plus but um but i think you know the close the idea of having a closing lineup of uh of of Bledsoe hill uh, chris Giannis, brooke i mean i think that's kind of clearly your kind of i would say clearly your most talented kind of five that that actually kind of fit together positionally um and i think there's you know a good reason why you keep george coming off the bench given the comfort level with him doing that and having more of that kind of role-playing shooter uh in west matthews or you know potentially somebody else like a sterling brown i don't think it'll be kyle corver but you know there, there, there may be some some different uh outcomes uh, in terms of what happens with the starting shooting guard spot but um i think george l clearly at this point the guy i would say is the the best player out of the group of guys who can play the two. Um, so I think that's something that I, you know, I think will be interesting to watch. You know, I think we mentioned not a lot of data on that group that I just mentioned from last year. Not, it's not like there was, there's yeah. any really body of work there to say that, that that group is, you know, was amazing last year and played together a ton. No, they didn't really, they didn't do that. And they, you know, we don't necessarily have evidence that, that they should, that they work, but you know, I think on paper, at least it, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing to predict is just because of especially, you know, the on the wing, there are just a lot of guys, but not a lot of top-end talent. So I think you just end up in a situation where, um, you know, it could go a lot of different directions, you know, and, and, and injuries are going to play an important part. You know, Dante, if he's healthy or not, I think that matters because um, you've got, you know, these veteran guys, Mess Matthews and Corver uh, mixed in with, with obviously younger guys. Um, like, you know, a Sterling Brown and, and, and Dante, <coughs> who obviously are uh, looking to to take on bigger roles. So could go a lot of different directions. I think that makes it hard to kind of predict what the, the rotations look like, especially on the wing. Um, but I think at the other positions, it's a lot easier. You know, we talked about Brooke and Robin, you know, presumably getting the lion's share of the minutes at center. Um, Ilyasova and, and Wilson, the only real obvious guys at the four uh, in, again, kind of, the young up and comer versus the, the, you know, coach's favorite who, you know, does their son kind of keep DJ maybe on the outs a little bit there at the, at the four spot. And then, you know, point guard is pretty straightforward. It's just Bledsoe and, and Hill. You don't really have other options. You know, Frank Mason, your two way guy is the only other point guard really that you have as, as an option right now. And then that kind of leaves the two, three is sort of the big, the big question mark. So, um, so yeah, I think lots of, lots of stuff to watch, but again, as far as what the, the up in the air parts, it's, it's really on the wing for me.
at John Dolezal on Twitter asks, it seemed like the Bucks' offense last year was very predicated on driving ability to break down the defense. With the loss of Brogdon, we still have Bledsoe and Giannis to do this. If Bledsoe isn't up to the task in the playoffs, is there anyone else you trust to create in this way? And, I mean, I think it's a point we've been talking about for a while now. I mean, it's a point that we talked about when Bledsoe, or when, excuse me, when Brogdon got hurt in the first place. Like, Brogdon was the team's third most frequent driver as Bledsoe and as Giannis, and then Brogdon was there. And that isn't to say, like, um, oh, you know, Giannis drives 10 times a game, Bledsoe drives 10 times a game, and Brogdon drives 4.5 times per game, and Middleton drives 4.4. Like, Brogdon was up there. And I think it was 8 or 9 that the Bucks were going to have to try to replace. And, again, I understand I know that's small, but that's just how drives are kind of calculated on NBA.com. Uh, it's like the distance you have to go, but it speaks to how aggressive someone it tends to be off the dribble. And Brogdon was certainly more aggressive off the dribble than, than a whole lot of those other guys. And I mean, they're not going to have a guy like that. Like Wesley Matthews doesn't really drive anymore. Um, he hasn't looked like the same athlete since he uh, tore his Achilles. I think it was in, in uh, Portland. Uh, years ago so like he hasn't looked the same athletically like he still shoots a bunch of threes and that's great but he just doesn't do that Middleton I don't think is ever going to be a high volume driver like that's just not his game and uh, obviously we saw him try to figure out how to function in Bud's offense while not being that last year so uh, I don't think that he is and I mean you just go up and down the lineup like you know maybe there's a little bit of upside with a guy like Dante that he could become that at some point but I don't think we really know um you know Sterling Brown had uh, some moments where he kind of became a driver late in the season that Hawks game comes to mind but also the, was the Hawks um but I, I like there's there's not going to be another volume guys so uh, you know to the question if blood isn't up to the task in the playoffs is there anyone else you trust you're creating this fight no like there isn't uh uh, I don't know who you could think on the roster could do that. And obviously I've written about how, you know, the Bucks could try to do this in other ways and more threes uh, would certainly help in, in that regard. But uh, I, I don't think the Bucks have another guy or other guys that, that could really fill in for Bledsoe. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, th- this is kind of, you know, again, like you, with Brogdon's departure, you know, you, I think we've been looking through mo- through a lot of this stuff through the lens of like what do the Bucks look like at their strongest, um, but you know another big issue with losing Brogdon and replacing him with you know like a kind of poo poo platter of like random like aging wings is you you have very little coverage at the point guard spot right I mean again Brogdon as much as Brogdon may have been enthusiastic about the idea of playing point guard. Uh, obviously he had some limitations there, especially defensively, especially sort of in terms of his playmaking, but um, he could do it, you know, and, and if, you know, when Bledsoe, we haven't, we haven't seen Bledsoe miss much action, but um, you know, it's a luxury with that. Your, your starting shooting guard can capably play the point guard spot and can play stretches without, without a point guard, their point guard on the floor. And, and obviously you have George Hill, and he can kind of do similar things to Brogdon as far as playing both spots. Um, but as of right now, you know, if Bledsoe is, is out, or as we saw in the playoffs, if Bledsoe is having um, issues, let's say, uh, being effective, um, you really don't have a lot of other options to go to. And, um, 
you know, I think that's certainly another another way that that losing Brogdon hurts you is just, you know, you are you, you have less redundancy at uh, at the point guard and kind of playmaking roles uh, with with Adam. So it's it's definitely kind of one of those scary things. As long as Bledsoe's healthy and playing up to his abilities, you're you know, obviously you can feel like you have pretty good productivity likely coming from that point guard spot. But uh, as we know, the season is long and and stuff happens. All right, final question in our July mailbag that will now be wrapping up on. August 16th comes from Brian Harmon uh, at V harms with a Z on Twitter podcast versus radio versus writing. What are the things you enjoy and the pros and cons when you guys participate in those medium or I guess mediums would be in those media. I always feel like with podcasting, you just kind of, it's, it's just like you're trying to get all of your ideas out. And my hope is always that like, I'll say something and then that hopefully sparks you and hopefully that'll take us to somewhere interesting. And sometimes it does. Uh, Other times it leads to us just rambling and meandering around a topic and like not actually getting to a point and not actually, you know, doing the things that we need to do and, you know, like actually having a a coherent point at the end. And like, uh, uh, that's really fun. Like I enjoy, just that back and forth in being able to kind of explore things with you or with whoever else I'm hosting, uh, you know, a podcast with. So that one to me feels the most uh, free in many ways where you just kind of get to let loose and talk basketball and talk about different things that you're thinking about. And hopefully in the end you've come you've come to something that makes some sort of sense. Like you've been able to come to an idea that you think makes sense, but I feel like writing you're chopping out all of the, all the stuff that doesn't make sense or all of the meandering. Like you're, you're finding a way to coherently get to a point to quickly um, and and concisely show what you're trying to prove. Uh, You know, you're kind of able to, package all of that together. And, and I would agree that, you know, you've, I think there you always feel, I feel like writing is much more of a finished product where a podcast just kind of exists. Like it, it's just, it's just out there. We had a conversation. Some of it might've been good. Some of it might've been bad, but we got through it together. And this is kind of where just kind of what happened. Um, so I, I feel that about those two. And then radio, um, I feel like radio is the midpoint of those two things where I think you have to be able to go out and make points concisely and you can meander and you can have some fun, but ultimately it needs to be a little bit more cinched up than, than a podcast would be. Uh, but maybe not quite as that cinched up and concise as, as a, piece of writing might be. So uh, I, I enjoy all of them immensely. And especially with radio, I've, I mean, I, I know you used to get to do this a little bit more when you did some more radio spots, like you get to talk to different people. Like I, I know when I'm on 105.7, the fan, like my experience with Bart Winkler and Chuck Freeman in the morning is going to be a lot different than it is with the big show in the afternoon. And it's gonna be a lot different than it is with Bill Michaels midday. It's gonna be a lot different than it is with my good friends over at ESPN, like Gabe Neitzel and 
Homer and Gabe in the afternoon or Brian D in the midday. Uh, like all of that is going to be, all those things are going to be different. And that's to me always fun and exciting that I get to kind of chop it up with different people and uh, have that experience where, you know, you are trying to get out points and they kind of view you. And I, that's the, the one other thing with radio too, is like, if you're doing radio as a Bucks guy, like you are the Bucks expert while here, I, I think you and I, I think we view ourselves as Bucks experts, which is often why, you know, if someone has a Bucks topic that they've written about, it's like, well, you know, maybe there's some interesting behind the scenes stuff, but like we kind of understand those things as, as the guys that cover the Bucks day to day and understand what's going on. And because of that with you, I feel like I get to try to throw things out and, and see what happens as opposed to being like, this is exactly what's happening, Frank. Like, if you can't see it, you're an idiot or something like that. Like that, that isn't how this feels to me. This feels like a, a conversation between the both of us trying to figure things out together. Uh, so yeah, they're all very different and I think they're all very fun. Yeah. I, it's funny with radio because I feel, um, I, I feel like the pot on these podcasts, I, I am extremely long winded and, and I will kind of blather on for, for extended periods. And I will say I've always been pleasantly surprised at my ability to not do that on the radio. On the radio, and that's obviously the biggest difference is you have to be very, you know, you have to, you do have to be very concise and get to your point. And I, I feel like the way I always have approached it on the radio is I always view it as I'm doing this for an audience who doesn't know who I am and like doesn't know, like doesn't follow the team yeah. to the degree to Absolutely. which I do. Um, and so <clears throat> like, especially cause you know, over the years, a lot of the times, like when I get, when I go on, um, it's with people who know that I'm more of like a cat person or that I'm more of like a, you know, nuanced person. And so they kind of want me to try to translate that into like the brass tacks of what it means, um, for the team. And so that's, that's probably the hardest thing about when I do radio spots is like, it's like, okay, well, like, can they, can the bucks sign blip, blip and blip and blip or what does it mean? Right. And so you have to kind of take, you know, what I, in a, in a, in a, you know, blog post I would have done a few <laughs> years ago that I could have like used, you know, spreadsheets yeah. and calculations and done run through lots of different scenarios. I have to really distill it down to like, okay, you know, no, they really can't go out and easily sign another team's free agent. They can, however, do this, this, this. And you have to really kind of like just, you know, give it the TLDR uh, type answer that, you know, in this format or especially in a um, in a blog post, you have a lot more room for that level of nuance and you can be very deliberate sort of talking through and showing your work, whereas you really can't do that on the radio. Um, and so, yeah, I. Um, I actually say I have to, I enjoy the radio and I, I don't know, like it's, it's been fun. It's fun kind of just being able to, in a lot of ways, give sort of like these basic kind of, you know, it's almost like you're doing, um, you know, cliff notes versions of kind of the things we do on, on, on this podcast. Cause I think when we're talking here, I'm, I'm just assuming that the people, you guys out there listening to us, you know, you've heard us a bunch, right. You kind of know generally where we stand on things. We don't have to reestablish, you know, all the all the ideas in the background of what we think every time we do a podcast right right and, and again i it'd be interesting to know just like how you know how how our kind of listenership like you know how much 
people are listening, the same people are listening to to every podcast versus how many people listen to like, you know, once every one or, you know, one or two weeks versus things like that. Um, but I would say, you know, for the most part, um, you know, our, our audience data would suggest it's, you know, we have a pretty stable audience. And again, not that everybody listens to every podcast, um, but it's not like, you know, the people that listen this week aren't going to listen next week. And it's a brand new set of humans who've never heard us. Right. We know that's not, that's not what it's like. So, um, so I, I always try to take that mindset though with the radio, cause you never know who exactly might yeah. be listening to you. And, you know, it's not your natural habitat where, you know, we're not on there every day. You know, you're doing a lot more than, um, than certainly I do now. And, um, and you know, more than I kind of really did previously as well. But, um, you know, it does feel like it's, it's a good opportunity more to like introduce yourself to, to people who maybe don't have that, have that exposure. So I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think for me personally too, like not having a job in sports, I do think it is helpful. You know, I mean, I, I speak extemporaneously about the bucks for hours every week. Um, and when needed for, you know, five to 10 minutes at a time on, you know, on a, on a radio broadcast that goes out to, you know, tens of thousands of people. So I think it's a good thing to do. It just uh, kind of makes you confident being able to, you know, speak without necessarily having uh, clear talking points and, you know, kind of, I think just as a life skill, it's a, it's kind of a fun thing to, to do and have practice with, even if, you know, I'm not necessarily ever going to have to do it in, in my day job uh, around the, the topic that I'm doing here or, or on the, on the radio. All right. End of the mailbag only took us three. Weeks. We did it only took us three weeks, but we, we got to the end of it. Uh, July mailbag officially done midway through August. Uh, so I guess if we do a mailbag again, we should probably start in September. Maybe that'll get us done by the by the start of the season. So we'll we'll have to think through that uh, a little bit. A uh, big shout out to all of you for all of the questions, for listening, for all of that. Uh, this is you know one of the uh, more you know, I mean empty times of an NBA season. Like there's just not a whole lot going on. So um, shout out to all of you for continuing to listen and to continue asking us questions. And yeah, it's been great. So, for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. I'll talk to you next week from Australia.